Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Summit Bid podcast. <laughs> yep, the first episode of 2021 here today. Yeah. I little. feel like everyone's over talking about um, being excited about 2021 now. I feel yeah. like, yeah, it it uh, <laughs> it slashed expectations right from the beginning. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, but so. uh, you know that always happens, and uh, it also has not been abs. You know the 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 most fruitful amount of uh, camera news for us to talk about. Right. Well, and um, yeah, I mean, we, we took a little break because um, we had to, Christmas season's always really busy and hard. So Mm -hmm. uh, we couldn't find time. And then um, you had to quarantine Mm -hmm. for, uh, I got sick for a uh, couple weeks there. It feels like I'm just now getting over it, but I did get a negative COVID test. So, so you um, never, never, you didn't have it. So didn't have it, but, okay. um, but they're still asking us to like you to quarantine anyway. Um, even after you get the negative test. So that's interesting. So I, I followed through on that, um, just to be safe. Right. But, for sure. uh, uh, yeah, that was a very interesting way to kick off the, the year. I, I ended 2020 in the most, uh, fitting way you possibly can. <laughs> totally isolated and alone. Yes, that is. With your two dogs. Oh. Well, I mean, okay. Uh, happier news here. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So CES is going on. I think it's wrapping up today or tomorrow or whatever. And I think a lot of people expected Sony's new flagship body to be announced. And it seems like all of these flagship bodies have been postponed, possibly yeah, I mean, right now, no one really knows. Um, Sony was first up, and it seems like, you know, it's it's later this year. Um, Nikon is is definitely being maybe the most doom and gloom, although Canon is too. They're saying, like, everything is, is delayed. So mm. um, uh, we may not see these, these new flagship bodies, mirrorless bodies that we've been kind of uh, talking about now for quite a while. Our, mm-hmm. uh, if you listen to our last show of uh 2020 we had the prediction show mm-hmm. we talked about these uh these cameras coming and we don't know for sure when they're coming when so but sony announced two things one thing kind of mysteriously the the sony air peak mm-hmm. it's actually a really cool name it is when a I cool f- name when i first heard it i was like why isn't it like called the wx 3050 Y or something like right, what right. most stuff's called. It's just like a random assortment of numbers and letters. Right. Right. Uh, and they just gave it a name, but uh, it's really interesting to see Sony stepping into this uh, really ultra, game. ultra high end drone game. Right. The ultra high end. Yeah. We don't know specs. We don't know price. We don't know release date, but we do know that it's kind of intended for a uh, very professional use. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually mount um, Sony Alpha cameras on it, mm-hmm. so it doesn't have its own built-in camera, none of that stuff. I did notice um, in the little promo that it did show for a second, like maybe it it might come with some sort of camera uh, that may be like oh, interesting. automatically built in. It was just like a flash of a camera that looked, you know, not not a, a interchangeable lens camera, just like a camera that was maybe mounted on the base, but that also might've been one of the sensors or, or maybe there's a, uh, um, there's a camera on it for monitoring the view angle. Um, right, that right. also is what it might've been. Cause I was, I was thinking about it. 
it could actually be pretty difficult to monitor your image if you're shooting with like an ace of an S3 or, or something like right. that. Right. I mean, that's a lot of data to send mm -hmm. back to a controller. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I'm uh, sure they, they, it's possible, but and we don't know how much this thing's going to cost either. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, my guess would be f uh, five digits anyway, 10,000 mm. plus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's like a car kind of, I mean, it's, it's not, but something that size, like falling out of the sky would be a much bigger deal than a drone that DJI yeah, makes or something no like yeah. that could kill somebody. So like, you're going to need licenses to use this and licenses from the company. Um, I mean, for, from wherever you're shooting, you're going to need price special licenses as well. Um, this is not a, uh, this is not something you could just going to Best Buy and buy, or at least I right. really doubt it. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, it, I, I think it's a sign of that to come, though. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Sony's going to be uh, getting into the drone game. It makes sense, considering that G DJI is on the struggle bus right now with some regulations and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, so well, that's... They probably will be able to make some some good drones, maybe. It's, it's uh, been kind of DJI by themselves for a while now, so... Yeah, some competition. Could some be competition would be, and well, GoPro tried and and failed miserably. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like GoPro has kind of kind of gone back to what it does best. I feel like, <laughs> what although it does best, uh, although it's in in comp competition with lots of stuff. So who knows? We love our GoPros though. Oh yeah. Well, um, as a as a fun personal news note, you did just get the iPhone twelve. Which is going some footage from the iPhone 12 Pro Max, right? I did is going to be in our next yeah, video. I had what did you a think shooting with it. I had a 10R, and um, it was uh, you know, I mean, I liked that phone, but the battery on it was literally lasting like three hours. Um, I couldn't, so I I was looking at the options and, and decided to go ahead and, and do the the Pro uh, the Pro Max, but mostly for the battery life, because kind of what we do, it just didn't make sense to have a long lasting phone. But I kind of started, you know, looking at the camera stuff and the footage, you know, in first pass looks great. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited to use it some in the field and, and kind of see how it works as a, as a second video camera. Um, we actually went um, out to the mountains yesterday and, and did some shooting and all that stuff. And, and I definitely used it some. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to tune into our next vlog and you'll see some iPhone 12 Pro Max footage. It Why do they name really, them so long? Well, I think it's a, uh, I mean, it does sound luxury. You it know? does. Yeah. iPhone 12 Pro Max. And I, there is an iPhone 12 Pro, I believe. That's, an, that's yes. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not a, a huge phone person, so no, I don't follow all the little details. Yes, but. so there's a iPhone 12 mini, 12 Pro, Pro Max. That's okay. what was released this and year. And the Pro is just smaller than the Pro Max with a slightly worse camera? Yes. The Pro Max does have a slightly better camera. The telephoto is uh, 65 meters instead of 52 millimeters. Mm. And it has, all the, so the image sensors are also slightly bigger. Mm -hmm. um, in... You know, from what I've watched on YouTube and various other sources, it doesn't seem like in use it's very different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and that also could be like first pass, like, you know, with uh, iOS 14 updates and, and stuff, you know, it could be 
that gap could spread. And so, yeah, and it also supports the Apple Pro Raw, which is a raw format that also incorporates some of the um, machine learning and, and various aspects of computational mm-hmm. photography uh, that Apple does. So kind of a halfway between the normal HEIF file and, and, a, and an actual raw file. So mm-hmm. that's kind of that's cool. Yeah, it's, it is interesting that it, I, I was really impressed, honestly, by the way, uh, by how detailed the footage looks, mm. uh, particularly on the wider lens. On the standard um, lens, the, the standard middle lens, lens. yeah. It's yeah. still really wide, but they call it the standard lens. Um, just the detail level with that uh, is is really high, and the micro contrast looks really good too. That that's coming from what you were saying with the HDR and, and right, yeah. All its ability no, to I, I was stuff, impressed. So. I think that um, considering that video is kind of a secondary thing for me when we're out anyway, mm-hmm. um, I could see it, it definitely getting incorporated in, into our workflow. So yeah. well, we'll have to follow up with that. Um, uh, as you learn a little bit more about yeah, that. as I learn and use and and then um, also if you guys like <laughs> if you watch our, our newest vlog and and you see the shots that you think are the iPhone 12, um, you know you should comment on yeah. it and there is GoPro Hero nine footage in there too, so yes. you're gonna have to quite a bit of GoPro Hero nine footage. quite a bit of GoPro Hero nine EOS R and R five footage. It's got all of the right. all of the cameras, so you can try right. to figure out what's what. Well. I mean, there is one spoiler is that they know that I'm the one who has the, the, uh, the iPhone. I mean, so they don't know that I wasn't <laughs> playing with it. I mean, come on, who knows? Who knows? Okay. Um, um so one more, uh, decently large piece of news. The, uh, Sony has announced the 3514 G master, which is both a long coming lens. And, but at the same time, I'm also like a, well, I don't know. I'm a little underwhelmed. Um, for one, it's a one four. I feel like, like you know, since Sigma has a one two, mm-hmm. like it, you know, it's fine. I mean, it's definitely a, a lens a lot of people are going to use. It has the same form factor as the twenty four one four, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that form factor, so that's great. Yeah, I have a thirty five one four Rokinon, and it's huge, jongus. Like it's right. ridiculously big. Um, so the idea of having a sharper autofocusing version that's tiny is, is appealing. I do think that 35 is a very, I mean, obviously Sony needed to add this lens. It's not like a a weird lens for Sony to add to their lineup, but I Mm -hmm. think for individuals kits, 35 seems to be a lens that either is the lens they build their entire system around is this 35 millimeter focal length. And other people just cannot stand 35 yeah. and never really want it or, or use it. So it's, it's a very interesting lens uh, for our viewers and listeners as far as you know, if you're using Sony, I'd be curious to hear how many of you are interested in right. purchasing. Well, and they had a 3514, the Zeiss Distagon one, mm-hmm. which um, Brandon, who is sometimes on our show, he he used for a very minute, very <laughs> short amount of very time, short amount yeah. of time. He didn't like it very much. Um, I've heard mixed. Some people love that lens, so it's it's kind of funny. They they have replaced it. It's a it's a lot smaller. It's in their G Master lineup. So um, mm-hmm. I feel like he definitely did not feel like that lens was very sharp. And I did get to see side by side comparisons from him, and it. 
it had a really nice look to it. I think that a lot of the Zeiss lenses do. Right. Um, but they aren't just like unbelievably sharp. Uh, I don't know about like Zeiss's official non-Zony lenses, if that's really uh, a theme for all of their lenses. No, but, they have um, super high image quality is, is, their, is their theme. I think that the, the Zony lenses were hit or miss that the 51.4 is great. Um, although, does this expose? Honestly, I think, though, they will do one two with the G Master 50. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see how they couldn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great lens. You know, I don't want to be too down on it. I mean, like I said, this just means that if you're looking for a Sony 35.12, you're either doing the Sigma or you're waiting who knows how long now. Mm-hmm. So, now that they have the, the 1.4 out there. so Yeah, and uh, the question of the... Uh, 3512 versus the 3514 as well. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I think that, um, like Jared Poland, he made a video uh, about it comparing them. He says he can see a pretty big difference between 1 2 and 1 4, but he has somewhat of a trained eye. And then I think he's partial to that 1 2. Um, I don't actually know that that 1 2 on the Sigma, though. I think that you get um, that one-two depth of field, but I actually don't think the light transmission. I think it's close to one-four still. So you know, maybe maybe that's what Sony is is doing. Is they're like, well, we it's so much harder to do that one-two and have it transmitted and all that. It would have made it big. They just went for one-four, and they're going to sell a ton of them. Uh, Thirty-five, like you said, it's just so popular, mm-hmm. and and we kind of live in a uh, luxury prime age right now with Mm -hmm. lenses that's kind of where people are are going well i think that to kind of tie it back to what we were talking about with the smartphone i think that luxury prime the look that primes give you of that oftentimes strongly different focal length not in the 35's case but the aperture being able to get the extreme shallow depth of field Mm. um, and that extreme level of image quality that zooms are only now starting to to access right um, right and you know it is the kind of image quality that i feel like you do enjoy even when you're viewing photos on instagram or whatever yeah I mean, no for sure it's really there that rendering and i i think that's why a lot of people are using them and that's I, that's a big part of the reason why you know i messed around with uh, having a fully prime system last year it's just for what we do it doesn't really Right. I mean, really I love me, primes. But. I may, it may have sounded like I was saying like, oh, wow, all these people with their luxury primes. I'm the quickest to go to a luxury prime. Like I love some of the image quality that you can get with a prime. Um, it's become not as practical for me, like you were saying. Um, so I'm having to maybe emotionally distance myself from some of them. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it seems like, like it's kind of the trend. I think that zooms will, you know, they're kind of coming back now that we have the uh, 12 to 24 to 8 from Sony, the 28 to 70 F2 from Canon. You're getting these faster, wider zoom lenses or faster zoom lenses that, that have prime like image quality. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, should be, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I, what What's the next lens that Sony needs to do? I, you know, I think there's some rumors of telephotos and stuff, but what do you think is the next lens for them that they need to round Replace out? their 24 to 70 and 70 to 200. Yep. I, I think, think that's starting yeah. to seem, there's a lot of pressure on them to do that. They need to make a smaller, sharper, uh, 
image stabilized 24 to 70, I think. Yep. Just like Canon has, because that's just, that's such a good lens. And I know that Nikon's isn't image stabilized, so that that maybe is compromisable. Mm -hmm. Like you could compromise Mm -hmm. on that. But um, in my experience, lens stabilization, particularly for video specifically, is a little bit more pleasing. Um, Mm -hmm. Like there's Mm -hmm. the legendary corner warping with wide angle lenses. um, Right. That, uh, uh, wide angle lenses on strong uh, image stabilized sensors. So like an image uh, sensor with a really strong IBIS system. Uh, it'll get warping in the corners and kind of look like warp stabilizer, which is funny. That's a digital thing. And, and right, so this is right. a physical thing <laughs> going on. Um, but, you know, I've been using a image stabilized lens with a non-image stabilized camera body. And in a lot of ways, I, I feel like, I do miss IBIS in some ways. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have both, but mm-hmm. I do really like the way that the lens stabilizes things. It's just, it feels a little bit easier to look at sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little anecdotal because I think it depends on your exact focal length and camera mm-hmm. um, and lens that you're using. But uh, Right. Well, I, there's a reason that, that like telephoto lenses still have stabilization in the lens too. Mm-hmm. I do think it's generally, and, you know, Canon actually argued this for years before they announced stabilization on the R5, and they actually nailed it with the stabilization on the R5. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like Sony has fixed a lot of their stabilization issues with the S3. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see going forward that they have that a lot. But, yes, I I agree, 2470, 7200, they need Mark IIs on both of those lenses, Um, probably as soon as they can. can. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that... Yeah, those two lenses we've I've used them. I think you've used the twenty four seventy a little bit. Um, the uh, twenty four to seventy Canon. No, Sony. Sony. I have not used it. Oh, I thought you had used it a little bit. So no, no, I've not yeah. been able to. It's not. It's certainly before. not as good as that Nikon twenty four seventy. There's something about that Nikon twenty four seventy, like you know, in a perfect world, I would own a Z seven and that twenty four seventy, and they would never leave each other, and it would be a fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that for some reason those that lens on that body was just a fantastic mm-hmm. um, shooting camera experience. Yeah, sometimes you you get lenses and cameras that just work really well together. Yeah. For me, the sixteen one four and the A sixty six hundred were just yeah perfect together. It was like they were built to go together. Um, but uh, uh, you know, alas, don't yep. have that anymore. But all right. Um, so we can move on to our main topic today, which is discussing um, something that we did in the break since our last, uh, I guess we were doing it right as we recorded last um, podcast. Mm-hmm. Is we were that, at least considering it. At we were at least point. considering it. I think we were kind of in motion because I remember I did actually edit the last podcast that went up on YouTube in Premiere, but I think I had, I had Final Cut already on my computer. So basically, we have decided to move from Premiere to Final Cut Pro for various reasons, and we're going to kind of talk about some of those reasons, and then what of our experience, what our experience has been mm-hmm. in this new um, video editing platform. So, um, well, what 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 do you think so far, Final Cut Pro? So uh, you were interested in trying it out uh, because we were both dealing with frustrating amounts of. Uh, 
of slowdowns with editing right. on our 16-inch MacBook Pros, our expensive computers, and yet it didn't seem like we could edit smoothly. Right. Um, yep. And that was, uh, you know, really annoying. And we were thinking about, like, should we get M1 Max because those seem like they're doing better and, like, throwing different ideas around. Um, and uh, you wanted to try Final Cut. And I, I really liked Premiere. Uh, I really got comfortable with Premiere. Um, and I didn't really want to try it out, but I was like, okay, well, I will, uh, I will try this out and see what it's like. And within two to three editing sessions, I just could not foresee going back to Premiere because mm-hmm. it's just everything is responsive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the just even just down to selecting um, which parts of which clips you want to use. Right. It's perfectly smooth. You can scrub through your timeline without any problems, whether there's uh, two to three uh, lines of 4K and graphics over the top of it. Right. No problem. You can just scroll through it. So um, pretty quickly, I fell in love with well, and Final Cut. Like I noticed in your, it improved your editing. Like uh, the, I think the first video you edited was the Wind River Range vlog, right? Yes. And I just, you know, he just showed it to me and I'm like, wow, this is really tight. Like Toby has tightened things up. And I think it was that you just were able to just not have to deal with the lag and everything mm-hmm. else. It was just so easy to to really work with it and dial it in and take it to that next Well, and level. easy to make um, all those tiny adjustments that you have to, you kind of have to make. Um, when you're doing edits, like you just right. left that clip a little too long, right? Or you um, you just need to bump that audio up a little bit. And before, sometimes you'd end up waiting five, ten seconds. And I think that that resistance built up a resistance to making those little adjustments. Yes, potentially. Uh-huh. It's just like, I, oh, I think I'll so. just let that go, or I'll do that later. Um, and this is like tiny subconscious stuff. Right. Um, it maybe you don't think about, but in the end, it it uh, it it's really it's game changing to be able to edit that smoothly. And and to be fair, everyone's gonna say just make proxies and Premiere works really well. Mm-hmm. There's two problems with that. The first problem is graphics still don't work well. Right. So you can get your footage working just as smoothly on my MacBook Pro by making proxies, which is a whole nother step you have to take. Right. Um, and you're not able to see your footage live with the color grade and everything else. It's just not, you're not looking at the actual footage, but it's a good workaround, but we use a lot of graphics. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And, uh, and um, because of just once you put those on, the whole system was uh, bogged down again. Right. Right. Well, and, and like, I also like the, the kind of the low layout of a final cut. I feel like it's a little more friendly to faster to speed. Um, you know, there, the, I feel like the, the interface of, of premiere has never really, I mean, like I definitely can work fast in premiere. I've edited hundreds of videos in premiere. Mm-hmm. Like I spent tons of time in there, but I never like the interface never became fully second nature. Like for instance, in, in Photoshop, I, I can think in Photoshop. I can problem solve in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Um, the interface to me just is it's beyond making sense at this point. It's second nature. Mm-hmm. Um, with Premiere, even though I'd spent all that time in it, the interface never, 
I never fully bought into the interface, you know? Um, and I feel like with, already with Final Cut, I'm, I'm a little um, faster. Like a, one example is, is something that we do a lot in B-roll is that we will reverse a clip. We'll actually shoot it like you start out with the lens close to an object and then you pull back and then you reverse it and it looks like you pull in and you get it perfectly in focus. Mm -hmm. It's like something we do all the time with our B-roll. And um, to reverse a clip in Premiere just requires a, like, it's like several clicks to get there mm -hmm. um, and adjust the speed. In, in, in Final Cut, it's like, it's like two clicks. It's really fast. It's right there on the timeline interface. You don't have to right click and scroll through a menu or anything. It's just right there. The button's right there. And it's like little things like that. It's like they kind of anticipated like, oh, this is something they'll use all the time. And then I also feel like Final Cut has more finishing um, things mm -hmm. kind of built in. Like the graphic support and all of that stuff is just significantly better. Mm. Uh, honestly, Premiere has the both pro and con of being kind of married to After Effects. Mm -hmm. and uh and uh final cut is kind of free of that a little bit i mean there's um apple i think it's called apple motion i think is kind of the apple version of uh after effects but because premiere is so married to after effects the adobe hasn't integrated a lot of the, the things that would make mm -hmm. you know animations and all that stuff you know really nice like subject tracking subject tracking all that mm -hmm. stuff is so much it's not very easy in Premiere. Um, well, you kind of need to bring it into After Effects in order to do it. Well, and uh, st little things like stabilizing clips is also very frustrating to do, in, in my opinion, in Premiere. And it's... Yeah. Like, this is just like a little thing, but the fact that it's not... I realize that uh, they both do this to some degree with like the frames scanned, but just the way that uh, Final Cut does it is just so much faster mm -hmm. um, that... I'm a lot more willing to add a stabilization filter to something because usually like we don't have hundreds of hours to edit a video. Right. We don't. Um, yeah. And you know, it, you're trying to make it as good as you can, but still release it, you know, in a timely manner right, on our schedule. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of people are in that boat. They're producing videos for their, their small business. Right. They're producing videos for a client that owns a small business and right, yeah. isn't paying them an incredible <laughs> amount of money. Right, exactly. Uh, or yeah. they're making YouTube videos, and what they want is is a fun-to-watch, professional-feeling video. Um, and the thing about After Effects is is it's, it's something you really have to learn. It's like a whole other platform. Like, I'm sure Motion is, uh, Apple Motion is like a it would take a long time to really be fluid with that platform. Mm -hmm. um, and Motion VFX, the website that we kind of found and, and got our first kind of sets of uh, plugins, of animations, plugins, animations, and, yeah. and stuff from. First of all, it wasn't that expensive, right? Um, I mean, it, it is exp it is very expensive if you're expecting to pay five dollars for a hundred right. things. It's right. very expensive <laughs> yeah, if that's yeah. what you're thinking, but. Yeah. Uh, when you think about the amount of time it would it would take us to build the library of of options we have now, right? It's, in, yeah, it's crazy. In After Effects or in Motion, it would be crazy. And then the fact that they all run seamlessly, seamlessly. Um, yeah, that is that is something. 
Um, Adobe plugins, I feel like they're hit or miss on how they run. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been a huge plugin guy because of that. I mean, I use uh, plugins in several kind of chosen plugins in, in Photoshop, but I've never really used any in Premiere, partly because I've already been struggling with it running, you know, as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Premiere, like uh, what a lot of people would say is that Premiere is kind of, it's kind of slowly turning into that Premiere is more of a Windows um, platform and Final mm-hmm. Cut is a is a Mac platform. I suppose that makes sense. I mean, it does make sense. It's kind of sad. Like, you know, I like, um, I guess I generally like Adobe program. I was just was talking about how much I use Photoshop, but like, you know, outside of Photoshop, like Lightroom is fine. Mm-hmm. Illustrator is, is I like Illustrator. Um, I think there's other options out there that some people swear by. Mm-hmm. Um, Premiere is fine, right? I mean, like we've edited a lot of videos in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's certainly not bad. And if you love Premiere, like you're not a terrible video editor, mm-hmm. right? Um, Audition is is good, Generally, but you know, we're not, I'm not being blown away by any of, uh, any of these programs anymore in Adobe, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with photo editing, like I'm enjoying like Luminar standard, uh, Luminar 4 um, for a lot of editing and and then Photoshop. Lightroom is just like, you know, they spice things up a little bit with their color grading, but it's, it's just okay. Lightroom Mm -hmm. is is if if you've not if you're editing your photos just in Lightroom and you haven't tried anything else, you're probably going to have a lot more fun in something like Luminar or Capture One mm-hmm. or even even Photoshop, even Adobe's own Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the sliders in um, in Lightroom. We're kind of getting off topic here, but uh, this just like moving the contrast slider, the clarity slider, the texture slider, mm-hmm. like they just don't. Maybe it's just because I've seen it so many times and I see it in other people's work all the time, but it doesn't like make your photo pop more. Right. Where just like even a, a, a simple curves adjustment in Photoshop can make your photo like, oh yeah, like right. this is going a direction well, and, that I like. And Lightroom's, like we won't, we won't stray too far, but another huge issue with Lightroom is that their onboard raw processing is not very good and it hasn't been very good and they haven't, they have not quite fixed it. Um, and when we say raw processing, that's literally how the program is interpreting the raw data given to it by the camera. Um, and you'll notice like if you open up the same file and capture one in Lightroom, it will look different. If you open up that same file again in Luminar, it'll look different. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's just because that's how the program is interpreting the the raw data and then converting it into all these other things and there's camera profiles and stuff in Lightroom but it's still there's a baseline converting that Lightroom does that is just okay mm-hmm. it's just okay um, but anyway we can we can kind of uh, uh, move on so from that but. I did want to talk a little bit about um, one thing that I've found with Final Cut is that it feels like its interface is so streamlined to be simple, like have everything in front of you right. and feel approachable, that it actually buries functionality. Um, an example of this is the way that the color grading works just built in. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. 
all you have is this color. It's called a color board. And granted, I don't really have anything particularly bad to say about the color board. I'm really happy that it treats midtones as if it's a thing that exists, which is something that right. so many places they have highlights and shadows and a contrast slider, and they right. don't just treat the midtones like they don't exist when there's oftentimes that's what right. you want to be changing. So I appreciate that it treats it that way. Right. You can affect saturation and color tint. And, right. and I was kind of and, playing with that. Yeah, and they bury the color wheels. If you want to use mm. the traditional color wheels, it's kind of buried. Or curves. Or curves. It's, it's, it's kind of buried, buried in yeah. this drop-down menu in a place that you wouldn't even, at least I wouldn't even necessarily anticipate to be a drop-down menu. Like, you can kind of tell it's like, well, you know, if you want, if you want these features, you're going to eventually figure out where they are. Right, um, right. Whereas with... Premiere, it just sort of assumes you want them and just drops them all in there with uh, Lumentry color. Right, that's true. Um, now, right. granted, before they added Lumentry color, uh, using uh, color grading in Premiere, I think, was very tricky, and you basically had to pick a, a plugin. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm excited to explore plugins. A plugin I've used, Film Convert, does work on um, uh, Final Cut as well as oh, in cool. Premiere. I didn't know that. Um, you do have to buy them separately, so I'll have to rebuy it. But um, uh, so I am actually excited to see how that implements in there um, and and some of those features. So I'm excited to explore that. I actually think that they're about the same capability. It's just mm -hmm. if you're not if you just took it at face value, like I was taking it at first, uh, because when I first started editing with it, I wanted to just experiment with, okay, can I just pick this up and edit with it and not watch a bunch of videos and stuff before, obviously I did a bunch of research right. on the side and realistically it was going fine. Um, I was able to find a lot of the stuff that I wanted, but some of those advanced stuff, uh, you kind of just have to be show. You have to be shown where to look to find it, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and that's definitely something to to think about because it, it works differently from Premiere. Things are in different places. Um, so if you are trying out Final Cut, I, I would recommend um, definitely give it a few days um, because at first, if you're really integrated into Premiere, it's going to feel like you're moving at half speed, even yeah. though the performance is way better. You just don't know where to go. Right um, so to do to of, do things. Honestly, I feel like <laughs> that wasn't the same experience for me because I feel like Final Cut seems to kind of match up with my brain a little bit better. Mm. The editing, the actual on the timeline workflow, um, however my brain is programmed, uh, seems to align, and that is something to keep in mind with any editing program. You can follow advice and everyone will tell you which one's better than which one, right? Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't kind of work the way your brain works, um, like that's, you know, kind of that's that, right? And mm -hmm. I feel like with Final Cut, like I was immediately going a little faster and I felt a little more creative in the process, interestingly, mm -hmm. um, because of just it kind of aligned with my brain. When I, when I jumped in, I'm like, oh, okay, all of this kind of, the way that the, the magnetic timeline being an example mm -hmm. of that, which is, um, which is, you know, a, a, a controversial subject to mm -hmm. say the least. Oh you, no, it's, it's even controversial for me, but continue. Right. So like, yeah, stuff like that. So I kind of, I jumped in, I think the hardest thing about switching and it, it's probably final cuts biggest con in my opinion is how the file structure 
and the the layout of a project is is just it doesn't make it's it, it just takes a minute to have it make sense. Mm-hmm. I think once you do make sense of it, you can be like, okay, I see why they did it. I feel like like it's kind of the inverse of what you were just saying, where like the color grade features, the pro stuff is super buried, mm-hmm. but then how the file structure works mm-hmm. is set out for like television professionals, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where it was designed with that in mind. Yeah, the was, event scene. Oh, yeah, what is it again? It's a library event and project and project. And they, they're all tied. I, honestly, I'm going to just fess up here. I don't actually know how it works still. I just, Rolled the one timeline and edit everything into it, but uh, go ahead. Well, it, yeah. So basically what it comes down to is that it's like, you have to create for every video, you're going to want to create a new library and then an event in that library, which is kind of where footage will go. And then the project, which is the actual timeline. Um, So like an example of how I used that layout, I think the way they had an intention was like, it's like you have a library, like if you, um, like if you had like a TV show, you'd have a library for like a season, right? Mm -hmm. And then every event would be an episode and then you'd have separate timelines in that. Or Mm -hmm. an event would be a day of shooting so you knew when stuff would be. Mm -hmm. But so I recently posted the, um, my photography kit for 2021 video. Mm Mm-hmm. I actually shot it twice. Um, I shot it once and I just wasn't very happy with it. I didn't like the way it turned out. I didn't like the camera angle or anything. I also shot B-roll for it though. Mm-hmm. And then, so we just reshot it and I used the same library and then just created a new event with the new footage. But I was able to kind of keep using the other B-roll and stuff too. Um, in addition, we also shot more B-roll, but so it kind of allowed it to have that. But honestly, Premiere has the same thing and it it really kind of takes care of itself a little bit better. So the file structure thing, definitely get your head wrapped around it. I think the biggest issue with the file structure thing though is, is that if you don't understand it and you just jump in and you make all of your videos in one library, you're going to be in huge trouble with your computer filling up with data Mm-hmm. Well, and even just one one project did that for me. Now, granted, I don't have a lot of storage on my computer, but the I think there's something like 50 gigs worth of footage for the uh, the first video I, I edited in mm-hmm. it, um, uh, the Wind River vlog, about 50 gigs. Because, you know, part of the secret sauce to it operating so quickly is that it's rendering stuff kind of actively. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's rendering as you go, making the experience so much nicer, but that like 50 gig file on the hard drive, sort of the library file itself started just growing and growing and growing. And by the time that I completed the project, it was 150 gigabytes alongside the library was, which, you know, was in addition to the 50 some odd gigs that the project was. Right. So, you know, you add those together and all of a sudden my 500 gigabyte hard drive, I know I've got the, tiny hard drive but it's full right and your computer's <laughs> full and you can't open a new project and it's like we don't have enough storage on here for you to even start this new project so you got to go through and delete stuff and move stuff right. around it, it and, requires organization mm-hmm. in a way that like can throw some people off personally i'm all for um getting organized with your files mm-hmm. and and knowing where everything is and and how intentionally 
going in and setting up your file structure, how you understand it and how you can work with it. So I'm all for that, Mm -hmm. but I think that is going to frustrate some people because it's kind of a requirement or you will Mm -hmm. run into serious, serious problems. Yeah, I think that there's that with Premiere, there is an an inherent advantage that like, and disadvantage, like you're saying, with being organized, because I got myself in a lot of trouble with having footage on that drive over there and that drive over there. And, and, uh, um, you know, when you have two terabyte hard drives and years of footage and you're trying to put everything together (laughs) and, you know, if you're not just sitting at a desk and everything's always plugged in, which maybe a a video editing professional would have that situation and they would want to be able to just reach from all these different drives and build up this project. Right. If you're a little bit more like you want to work on your project in multiple different locations and stuff, the final cut thing will force you into a much better life. Um, Right. Not having to remember, oh, yeah, there's that one clip from that one hard drive. Everything goes into into one folder. has to be on that one folder. Or you will be in huge trouble. You'll be in huge trouble because (laughs) in in just, I I can see how some people are going to look at Premiere and the way that Premiere operates there. And they're going to be like, I like that better because I'm having to edit this giant, you know, three terabyte project. Right. I can't fit it all onto one drive, and I certainly can't fit it onto one drive with it making a ton of render copies. Right. Um, you know, in the spinning drive would make it slow and miserable, potentially, because SSDs right. are a lot better for Final Cut. So you can kind of see where there's some... I wouldn't call them quite gaps, because you still can drag footage into the, the Final Cut timeline from, from another, another drive. drive. Yes. You still can do that. It's just I did that one time with uh, um, one of the videos. I did the Blue Lakes video that I edited on, oh, on right, it as well. Right. One clip, and the whole project slowed down because of that one clip with that one drive. Like It just felt like everything didn't work quite as well it after that. Gel. And yeah. I don't know exactly all the code behind that and things I could do to make that better, but if you're using Final Cut, keep everything in the same file, a library folder in that file on a fast SSD and you will have an, an incredible experience yep. editing footage. Yep. So uh, that's what I am planning to do. Yep. So yeah, right now I think we're happy with the switch. Um, you know, I, th- I think we can kind of, kind of, as we continue to grow in, in the final cut um, program and all mm-hmm. of that, I think we can kind of update. And then we'll also update on like, you know, what is our future with Adobe? Like, should we consider the um, subscription-free lifestyle? <laughs> it would be right. nice. Like, I mean, right now, Illustrator is the reason that I can't just drop. I guess technically, I could do standalone Illustrator, and uh, and then the photography plans would be thirty dollars instead of fifty dollars. But and I guess that's a pro, a major pro of Final Cut that uh, um you know, that we haven't talked about yet is that it's, you own it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's $300 and you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas to use Premiere, you have to constantly be paying for it over time. And it's $20 a month by itself. Right? By itself. But what is Premiere without After Effects? What is Premiere without Audition? You know, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't stand alone by itself as well as Final Cut does. Um, well, so, and Final Cut's versions of those are also purchasable. So, um, right, Exactly. Oh, uh, the name of the program is escaping me Logic? right now. Logic. Logic. Logic Pro and uh, Motion. Right. Both of those are 
our uh, counterparts. And like, I'm sure I, I don't know those programs as well. I've used addition a lot, never used logic for a right. second. Nope. Um, I, I don't know anything about it, but uh, you know, th- those are comparable. I'm sure that some people would say, Oh, but there's all these reasons why I have to use Adobe's programs. And, you know, a, a hard question for you to answer for for you to answer would be: Is there any way you could not use Photoshop? Like, are you so Photoshop integrated is into the hardest? Photoshop? And then also the way that Lightroom merges panoramas is just hard to get away from. Because mm. um, Lightroom, the the panoramic workflow, because I've shoot so many of them in Lightroom, is. Um, is, is kind of what's holding me to Lightroom mm-hmm. and then to, to Photoshop. I would love to, I think the one that I would be interested in investigating is, is could I find an alternative to Illustrator? Mm. Um, and then I could just drop down to the photography plan. I have Photoshop Lightroom and then I don't need all the other, the other ones, but it's going to be hard. And I use Illustrator, like I know Illustrator so well and, you know, starting over with it. I mean, I started over with, Final Cut, so obviously I can, but for some reason that's more intimidating to me. I think because I'm less frustrated with Illustrator than I'm frustrated with Premiere. Mm-hmm. I just was just, Premiere is just so, it can just, the lag was mm-hmm. just destroying um, our workflow. And it is interesting, same computer, like no lag. You just press the space bar and it just plays it mm-hmm. like like you're watching it on YouTube and it just makes it so much cleaner everything's mm-hmm. cleaner and i think it's shown up in in the edits i've done it's certainly shown up in the edits you've done mm-hmm. um so yeah so well uh we kind of hope you've enjoyed this discussion about you know programs we use and all that mm-hmm. stuff and uh um if you liked this video we would appreciate it if you would hit that like button yeah, hit that like button and definitely subscribe for more content like yeah, this and in subscribe the for more and if you are a listener um, if you could give us a review on iTunes, that would be amazing as well. Right. Um, it, you know, if you're, if you like the show, if you don't like the show, that would be sad, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it'd be understandable. It'd be maybe. understandable. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening and, uh, hopefully we will talk to you next week. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.